As we've studied the book of James, James has told us a lot about what not to do. But in this section, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, he'll give us a divine prescription of what to do in troubled times. Are you in trouble? Are you sick? Are you happy? Have you been struggling with a besetting sin? Well, these four categories James will address in this message. And man, how we need to hear about this divine prescription for troubled times. It's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, we've all had our moments and our seasons when life doesn't make sense, and maybe for you, God doesn't make sense. We hear about, especially in the book of James, how we should deal with, you know, troubling times. We're to Count it all joy when we face various trials. James has told us many things not to do in this book. He's told us to not be angry. He's told us to, uh, in verse 12, we just saw not to make oaths. We've seen many things about how to treat people and how to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How to deal with our tongue, which can be so powerful but yet so destructive. And so many, many lessons in the book of James that we've, I think, all appreciated. And now we're going to move into a section that deals with troubled times. There's one aspect in here, if you're happy, something to do, but several topics that are uh, dealt with in the verses. Let me just give you a quick outline. There is a divine prescription for suffering or if you're in trouble, verse 13, if you're a note taker. There's a divine prescription for if you're cheerful or happy, also in verse 13. There's a divine prescription for if you're sick in verse 14. And if you're dealing with sin or ongoing uh, sins that have been easily besetting you in verses 15 and 16. So a good way to navigate the text is to think about some S words. Uh, We are told how to navigate times when we're uh, suffering, smiling, sick, or sinning. Let me say that one more time. We're given a remedy here, a divine prescription of times when we're suffering, smiling, sick, or sinning. Now, we do need to acknowledge that the major theme of these verses is prayer. I think in every verse, prayer is mentioned. So the big picture of the text is certainly prayer. Prayer being the appropriate response. There's uh, the prayer of an individual in verse 13. There's the prayer of the elders in verse 14. There's the prayer of The congregation in verse 15, of really any spiritual believer in verse uh, 15 as well. And then there's even the prayer of Elijah in verses 17 and 18. And so we're going to move through a passage that has been often controversial, perhaps even misinterpreted, but we're going to ask for God's help. And the main theme is, what do we do when we need help in troubled times? Where do we turn? What's the prescription from heaven? A few psalms to get us going. Psalm 61, 1 and 2 says, Hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to thee. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. James is going to say that the remedy is always looking to God in every season or circumstance 
of life. Whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're sick, whether you're smiling, whatever it may be, whether you're in trouble. A God-centered perspective and trust in God in every season is what the Bible calls us to. Psalm 121 says these words, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3 says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. We can't assume for a moment that in troubled times, our first uh, action is prayer. Sometimes our first action may be complaining. Sometimes our first action may be, Lord, if you get me out of this one, here's what I'll do. We might be making an oath to heaven. And in verses 9 and 12, we do have those two things mentioned. Take a peek. It says, do not complain, James 5, 9, brethren, against one another. Troubled times often bring complaints that you yourselves may not be judged. And then in verse 12, it says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. In both verse 9, the judge is standing right at the door. End of verse 9 and verse 12, talk about judgment. Jesus is the ultimate judge. Christians are going to appear before the Bema Seat of Jesus Christ. And how we handle difficult times is really important. How we lead our families. Do we pray? Is gathering for prayer one of the first things that you and I could say we do when trouble strikes, financial or otherwise? Health issues. While kayaking in southern England uh, off the Isle of uh, White, Mark Ashton Smith, a 33-year-old lecturer at Cambridge University, capsized in treacher treacherous waters. Clinging to his craft and reaching for his cell phone, Ashton Smith's first inclination was to call his father. It didn't matter to the desperate son that his dad, Alan Pym Smith, was at work training British troops in Dubai, 3,500 miles away. Without delay, the father relayed his son's mayday to the Coast Guard installation nearest to his son's location. Ironically, it was less than a mile away. Within 12 minutes, a helicopter retrieved the grateful Ashton Smith, like this kayaker, says this writer, when we are in peril, our first impulse should be to call our father, the one we trust to help us. And so one thing that you'll notice as you uh, navigate through this passage is that James assumes a couple of basics, but let me put them out. First of all, there's a God who loves you. Second of all, it's expected that you would be in community with other Christians. The idea of a solo Christian just doesn't work. Now, you may be a shut-in listening to my voice right now, and that does exist, right? There are people who can't just physically make it to church anymore, but that's the exception rather than the rule. James is assuming, really, you could argue that the big picture is an assembly of Christians that have gathered, and they walk through the door in all kinds of various situations. Some, this morning, walked through the door smiling. Some of you were happy. Some of you were cheerful. Some of you walk through the door and you have been suffering, not just this week, but for quite some time. You have agonizing questions. You have ongoing health challenges. You've been praying and you have questions and you're wondering, am I all alone? How do I make sense of times like this? 
Whenever we open these doors, we realize that there's a various <laughs> scale of different uh, weeks that have gone on for all of us, right? Some of you have just lost a loved one. Some of you uh, have a loved one who's terribly sick. Some of you just got a promotion at work. Some of you are coming off, you know, a season of great difficulty, or may you, maybe you find yourself right in the middle of it. So what do you do now? Well, this is a call to prayer. This is the divine prescription for these kinds of times. Notice in verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? I'm sure we're going to hit every possibility this morning. Let's start with the first one in verse 13. Is anyone among you, this includes all of us, is anyone suffering? King James, is anyone afflicted? NIV, are any of you in trouble? Let him pray. So maybe you came into this building or maybe this week your simple prayer was, Lord, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Help. Well, the Greek word for trouble is a word that is generally used to be afflicted. It speaks of a person in distress. It's a general term that denotes the experience of all sorts of afflictions and trials. Suffering is a Greek word that Paul uses, for example, in 2 Timothy 2.9 when he says, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. James is addressing those who are suffering. Uh, it could be, it could include physical distress, but it's probably persecution, being abused and treated wickedly. We know that earlier in chapter five, that's what we've seen. We've seen these uh, day laborers who have worked hard and some of the rich landowners are holding back their pay and they've been crying out to God because if they don't get paid, they don't eat and they can't feed their families. And so James has called upon the church in times like these to pray. If you're in trouble, if you find yourself in hardship, then pray. The person that is in distress should call upon the Lord. There's a present tense uh, mood here for the verb translated, he must pray, suggesting a continual praying. Let him keep praying. Now, James isn't just preaching to us. James actually lived this. Many of you remember, as we introduced the book of James, that James was known historically as old camel knees because he was constantly in the temple praying for the people of God and praying for the nation of Israel. He is not saying something to us that he himself did not practice. And remember that the time in which James lived was very difficult to be a Christian. It was very difficult to be identified as Jesus' half-brother. Very difficult to lead the Jerusalem church. He was a man of prayer. He's not just, you know, blowing smoke or giving us words. Just, just pray and it'll be okay. He's saying, no, pray. You see, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we're to pray without ceasing. Have you ever tried that before? Have you ever tried to pray without ceasing? Oh, man, it's very difficult. But the word there that Paul uses is the idea of a Godward gaze. Here, here's the main point. When you pray, it takes your eyes off of the situation and puts your eyes where? On God. That's what prayer does. God does not need to be informed about the circumstances that surround your life at any given moment. He does know all things. But he does know this. That when you pray, your eyes move off of difficulty onto God, who's big enough to handle all of those cares. 
In fact, he says in 1 Peter, cast all your care to me because I care for you. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. In fact, he says in 1 Peter, cast all your care to me because I care for you. Do you have any friends that are offering that right now? Give me all your burdens. I'll carry them for you, brother, sister. But God cares about you that much. He does want you to turn your gaze off the problems onto him. And of course, it is a challenge for all of us to redirect what we could talk about in terms of complaining or wondering why me and just begin to pray. But that is the divine formula. It's to pray. Deuteronomy 33:26 says, There is none like the God of Jeshurun or Israel, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is our dwelling place, and underneath us are his everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33:26 and 27. So the prayer believers are to offer in such circumstances is not necessarily a prayer for deliverance, but a prayer for strength. Oftentimes when we pray and we're in a troublesome situation, we say, Lord, get me out of this. I'm right with you. Lord, I want to be healed right now. Lord, this difficult person. Lord, this difficult situation. But oftentimes when people prayed and stood firm, the Lord entered into their situation, whether it was a fiery furnace or a lion's den or difficulty dealing with temptation, or whatever it may be. The Lord doesn't necessarily remove our problems the moment we pray, I'm sure you've noticed. But he promises to enter into that situation and be our strength so that we can persevere and make it through. Prayer becomes the channel by which you call upon God's resources and stop trying to just use your own. And many times what we do is use prayer as the last resort. I've tried plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I guess now (laughs) we'll pray. Well, that should not be our attitude, but oftentimes it is. Or sometimes we feel like, Lord, I don't want to bother you with this thing again, right? We feel like we've been beating the doors of heaven so many times over the same thing. But the idea is that we ought all to, always to pray and not to lose heart. You can reference Luke 18.1. Because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And so if you're under trouble, if you're in pressure, 
pray. In his book, Legacy of, the Sovereign, of Sovereign Joy, John Piper writes, At the age of 16 in the year 371, Augustine sneaked away from his mother in Carthage. During the night, he sailed away to Rome, leaving her alone in her ter- tears and prayers. How were these prayers answered? Not the way Monica, Augustine's mother, hoped at the time. Only later could she see that praying is the deepest path to joy. Augustine himself wrote these words. And what did she beg of you, my God, with all those tears, if not that you would prevent me from sailing? But you did not do as she asked you. Instead, in the depth of your wisdom, you granted the wish that was closest to her heart. For she saw that you had granted her far more than she used to ask in her tearful prayers. You converted me to yourself, so that I no longer placed any hope in this world, but stood firmly upon the rule of faith, as you turned her sadness into rejoicing, into joy far fuller than her dearest wish, far sweeter and more chaste than any she had hoped to find. Sometimes we pray, and what we're asking for is something smaller than maybe what God wants to do but at least we're putting it before him and asking for his his help. So is anyone suffering? Look at uh, verse 13, which is now part B. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. So now we're told if we're having a good week and things are going well, the right response may not be specifically prayer for help, but it may be praise to God and praise specifically in song. In fact, the Greek word here is salo, where we get the idea of a psalm. The word is used in the Septuagint, the Hebrew or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, to reference a music with a harp to sing songs of praise. Praise and prayer, of course, are closely related. Praise is actually a form of prayer, and both are essential for spiritual strength and for those undergoing persecution. Remember when Paul was in prison? He began to sing songs at midnight with his missionary partner, and everybody heard it. But the right response to joyful times is still to include God in them and not just say, well, everything is cool, so I don't need to pray. But the right response is praise. And I'm hoping that many of you are not just listening and joining into praise just on Sunday mornings. I hope when we pray, oh, 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 is on your car during the week. And maybe you're letting some of the, oh, 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 go out out the car window. That's all right. People don't think you're talking to yourself anymore because they know you have those speakers on the phone. So you can sing in your car. You can can talk to God. Nobody will think you're crazy anymore. It's wonderful. So you can just sing it out. It used to be that if you're doing that, people will go, what in the world? But now it's cool. You can sing in your car. You can pray in your car. You can blast praise music. Everybody else is blasting their music. Why not? You can send a message out your car door window. Are you happy? Then praise God. Sometimes I've noticed that even when I'm not so happy, maybe there's not an automatic smile on my face. I come into this place on a Sunday morning. Praises begin to go up. And all of a sudden, my mood, my heart, my attitude changes. Amen? Praise redirects me because it takes my eyes off of me because I, when I wake up in the morning, you know, it's not always pretty. <laughs> Anybody else? I mean, even after I have coffee, it's not always pretty. And so I need oftentimes a change of attitude, a heart change. And I come in and the praises of God begin to go up. 
and my heart changes. One writer says, my sister bought a new car that was loaded with high-tech options. The first time she drove the car in the rain, she turned a knob she thought would start the windshield wipers. Instead, a message flashed across the dash, drive car 360 degrees. She had no idea what that meant. So she went home and got uh, the manual out, which I always do as a last-ditch effort. But anyway, she learned that while trying to turn on the windshield wiper, she had inadvertently turned off the internal compass, and the car had lost its sense of direction. To correct the problem, the car had to be driven in a full circle, pointed north. Then the compass had to be reset. Each time we gather to worship, says this writer, we are resetting our internal compass. We establish true north in our soul, remembering who God is and what his truth proclaims. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and he heard my cry, but I need to cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon uh, a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. And sometimes that's what I just need to do. I just need to sing a new song. I just need to allow God's word and praise to him to redirect the compass of my life. So if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, praise. Don't make false promises. Don't make oaths. Don't complain. But seek the Lord, the one who is higher than you. Next one is verse 14. Is any among, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them, the elders, pray over him. The word over is epi, would seem to be above. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, if you're sick, there is a prescription. And the prescription, notice in the verse is really upon the sick person to call for the elders of the church. This establishes a few things that need to be mentioned. Number one, that churches established in the early first century had a plurality of elders leading the congregation. So in every church, elders were put in charge, if you will. And the idea of the word elder can, can mean older in age, but the primary meaning is one who is spiritually mature. And so each congregation has elders, a plurality of elders, overseeing it and being under shepherds of the chief shepherd and ministering to the flock of God. And if someone is sick, they are to call for these elders, these leaders of the church who are defined in several places in the New Testament as men who have one wife. There's no question about their spiritual maturity or their commitment to the faith. You could look at 1 Timothy 3.1, for example, and following. And so, if anyone is sick among you, notice verse 14, that person is to call for the elders. It would seem that in calling for the elders, maybe the person is at home, bedridden, and in a serious situation in terms of illness, and so they must make the call, either through a loved one or a friend, or in our times, a telephone or an email or a text message, to call and say, hey, I'm sick. This establishes something that I think is important, especially in churches that are a little bit larger, and it's hard to track where everybody is. Sometimes we find out somebody's sick through a prayer request. Sometimes we hear in the church office. Sometimes somebody on staff knows somebody's sick, but we don't always know when you're sick. And so the only way we can really know is if you tell us and ask us to come and pray for you. And sometimes what happens 
in churches is that communication breaks down and a person's gone two or three weeks and maybe someone missed it. Maybe we didn't notice. You know, we are human. And so we need to put the ball into your court to ask us to pray for you. And that is the biblical formula. Ask for prayer. And some of you don't want to ask. Sometimes when we're really, really sick, we don't want to broadcast it because it could be a number of reasons. Maybe we don't want to burden people or maybe, just maybe, it could be our pride. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.